0: Hey, I'm glad you all are here. I know we have a lot of guests today. I want to welcome you and thank you so much for coming. I'm excited about uh, teaching today from Matthew chapter 25, continuing our series about the end and end times. But there's something that is really pressing on my heart. Uh, Leslie and I, my wife, we've been thinking about and we've talked about it. I, I keep a prayer list. Um, I use this app called Prayer Mate and. It tells you things to pray about. It gets you connected with believers around the world, praying over things, but it also lets you keep up with prayer concerns in your own life. And my prayer list, I don't know about yours, mine's been growing a lot. And a lot of those have been COVID-19 patients in in our community, Uh, a lot of sickness going on. And Leslie and I were were talking, uh, or Leslie was talking to um, someone's wife uh, who is struggling with COVID-19. She was talking about how he just couldn't breathe. And this song came to our mind uh, that says it's your breath in our lungs. And uh, what I want to do today is I want to invite you at all of our campuses, just stand up with me for just a minute. We're going to sing. You know, worship is prophetic. It's not just, oh, I like that tune or, oh, those words speak to me. It's a spiritual transaction between your faith and heaven. And and I wish you would do something. If you're able to breathe deeply right now, just know that there are people who go to our church, they can't physically be here today because of exposure, or some of them can't breathe deeply today because of what they're going through. Uh, And I want you to breathe deep for them. And I want us to just sort of prophesy the words of this song. You know the words, say it. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praises, your praise. Lungs, we pour out our praise to you to say it again in praise it's your, your breath, prayer. Prayer. I want you in that same atmosphere of, of worship and prayer, I want you to join me in praying for all the sick in our community. Maybe there's someone in your family that you know that is sick, they've got a bad diagnosis, maybe you're hurting, you need a miracle in your life. We've done something too because a lot of people have been asking us to uh, pray over prayer calls. There's a biblical tradition in the New Testament when people couldn't physically get to the place where they were gathering for worship, they would take cloths that had been prayed over and come from the apostles hands and they would bring them to them. We've done the same thing today. We gathered together at all of our campuses, our campus pastors gathered together. We prayed over prayer cloths, just like this for you to take home. We anointed it with oil and they're in the lobby. If you need one of these, you just want to take it home to remember and believe for your healing or bring it to somebody who's sick. I want you to do that. There's a, there's a bunch of those out in the lobby, but I want you to just lift up your hands to heaven right now. And let's just pray in agreement right now for miracles in our community. Lord, we thank you that your word correctly says you heal all of our diseases. Every sickness must bow to the name of Jesus. Your word says that you've been given a name which is above every other name. Lord, cancer and COVID-19 and pneumonia and every other sickness has to bow to the name of Jesus Christ. You are who Luke correctly called the great physician. Lord, when all doctors are at the end of their ability... You step in, God. You heal all of our diseases. And so we pray right now for our friends and loved ones, our family members, those who are far away from us. And we just declare that it's not by our might or our power, but it's by your spirit, Lord. It's by your healing. It's by your anointing. And we believe, God, this is not a religious exercise. This is a supernatural moment where you are truly touching somebody right now. Somebody, if you're sick, put your hand on your chest right now. Just pray for yourself. Father, right now, even in this room, all those worshiping online, you are healing sickness right now. You are changing things right now. You are going deep into the cellular makeup of your people, and you are recreating and making us new. And And we claim and believe for supernatural healing in Jesus mighty name. I wish you'd praise him right now. Come on, y'all. God, we praise you. We don't have to see it or feel it to believe it. We just praise you for what we know is ours. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that moment. Let's sit together and and let's just enjoy God's word. So today I want to wrap up this series. We've been talking about the end. Um, and uh, I want you to know, too, if you haven't been able to come to Daystar, are you worried about cleanliness? We installed a plasma air purification system at all our campuses. Wasn't cheap, cost a lot of money, but it's a really scientific thing. Google it for yourself. I won't bore you with that. But we want to do everything we can to be safe here. But I want to tell you that the, the, the most important issue that we have is to understand God's Word and know the times we're living in. That's why we've been digging deep into the end times, this series. If you missed any week of it, I encourage you to get on the website. Uh, Click on messages and listen to all three of those messages. Uh, It'd be a good trade out, you know, when you're working out or you're you're listening to Rick and Bubba on the radio, you know, trade it for a message on God's word. We love Rick and Bubba, but you know, this might be a little better than that. And just get, you know, get more of God's word into your life. All right. And, And so if you miss those first three, I hope you'll catch up. But today I'm answering the question, how can I be ready for the return of Christ? It's the most important of all four questions I'm covering. And it's the most important question in human history. Um, I don't know about you, but I grew up afraid a little bit of the second coming of Christ. Like I, I knew about Jesus. I prayed a lot and, you know, I went to church, but I was always kind of afraid. And, you know, if, if, if I couldn't find my mama, anybody know what I'm talking about? I was afraid Jesus had come back because I knew if anybody went to heaven, my mama was going to heaven. If I could find her, everything was all right. I remember uh, when I was a youth pastor, my first church I served... Uh, Pastor Randy used to tell his story. His dad was a preacher, and he said he came home from school one day, got off the school bus, came in the house, saw his dad's car there, knew his mom and dad were there, but he couldn't find them. So he went around in the house. He's calling out for his mom and dad, no answer. He started thinking, the rapture has happened, and I've got sin in my heart, and I've been left behind. (laughs) He starts freaking out. He's running around. He's trying to find them. He runs everywhere. He can't find them anywhere in the house. He goes to the laundry room, and there's a pile of laundry up on the table, you know, and two small piles right on the floor. And he said, my Lord, mom and dad were folding clothes. And Jesus came back and their clothes fell off of them and they went to heaven naked. Because everybody knows when you go to heaven, you know, you leave your clothes, behind. I don't know why he thought that. But sure enough, they were in the backyard. He didn't miss the rapture. But come on, I, I hope after this series, you don't have that fear anymore. I hope that you have an understanding that God doesn't want to sneak up on you. The Bible says it's going to come as a thief in the night to those who are not believing, but not to us. We're going to see the signs. We're going to know the times that we're living in, and we're going to be ready for Christ to return. Now, the disciples in Matthew 24, uh, they asked Jesus, how will we know the signs? What will it look like when you return? And so Jesus talked about that. We, we went over that in Matthew 24. And in this series, we've read from Daniel's writing, from Isaiah, other Old Testament writers. We've read from Paul and John. We read the Revelation. But today, we're only going to read from the words of Jesus. And, and if you open up your Bible to Matthew 25, all you get is red letters. It's only Jesus talking. And he actually gives three stories. That's the way Jesus always taught. He taught something you could understand. I've never been able to wrap my brain around why preachers want to show up on Sunday showing how smart they are by confusing the congregation. When Jesus did the opposite, he explained so simply in simple terms. And so today, we're going to read the three stories Jesus gave in Matthew 25 to answer the question of when will you return and what will it be like. So go with me to Matthew 25, beginning in verse one. He said, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will look like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. You will remember last week, I told you that Jesus explained the second coming of Christ like a wedding, like he's the groom and we're the bride. Okay, he continues that here. Verse uh, two, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. And the wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time coming And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, there's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins, the the potential brides, woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. We're not ready, in other words. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go out to those who sell oil and buy some from yourselves. But while they were away to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not, what, know you. Therefore, Jesus says, keep watch, because you do not know the day nor the hour of my return. So here's the first lesson to being ready when Jesus comes. Number one, know Jesus. Now, if you're a note taker, I've given you notes uh, in your worship guide. Follow along. You can fill in the blanks. Number one, know Jesus. He said, I don't know you. You think you know me. You think I know you, but I don't know you. It's simple. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ when He returns the second time to take us home, you're going to go be with Him. But if you don't know him intimately and personally, you're going to be left when the rapture happens. By the way, I think we could believe from these uh, words that Jesus is telling us that half of those who think they're ready for him or half of the church won't be ready when Jesus returns. He says there's ten virgins, five were wise, and five were foolish. Five went with the bridegroom, five were left. So, So how is that possible that people who go to church... Who, who, who know songs and, and, and you know know a little bit about the Bible? How is it possible they could miss the second coming of Jesus? Well, because of religion, in short, because our culture, particularly in the South, we are covered up with religion, and that's the most dangerous place for you to be spiritually—to have religion, to know religion, and not really know Jesus. Let me let me explain it like this: When 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 there finally is a vaccine for COVID nineteen, there are going to be some people who are afraid to take it because of what a vaccine is. A vaccine literally is a small dose of the disease or the virus. When you get the flu shot, you get, they give you the flu, a small dose of the flu. Not enough to really make you sick in almost all cases, but enough to make your body think you've got the real thing. And it rushes antibodies in the natural healing part of you. And so your body's all amped up and ready for it. So over the next several months, if you contact the real thing, your body will fight it off. See, it's my contention that in the South, especially, we got a small dose of Jesus, just enough. It's really not Jesus at all. It's religion. We've been inoculated with religion so much that we think we've got the real thing. And so when someone invites you to a life-changing small group or a relationship with Jesus or a prayer that'll change your life or to go deeper in worship, people are like, oh, I've already been to church. And see, that becomes the problem. It becomes the most dangerous place in the world to be is you don't even know what you don't have. And that's why our mission statement, the reason our church exists is for community transformation through the love and power of Jesus. We want people to, to get the real deal, not to join a church or to give money or help build a building. That's secondary. We want them to experience the real love and the real power of Jesus that changes their life and changes families and generations behind them. And we point out in our mission statement we want to reach three groups of people. Everybody say unchurched, overchurched, and dechurched. What are those categories? Well, unchurched people are people like we're reaching in Thailand where we're we're starting new churches and people literally, I'm seeing videos from our missionary over there, Chris Harrison, seeing videos of people who had never heard Jesus's name a month ago. They're playing a guitar and leading worship in a church we just established a month later. I mean, that's amazing. I'm so excited about that. But there are people in our town. There are people in our community who, of course, they've heard Jesus, but they've not heard the true story of Jesus. They've not seen the love and power of Jesus. They think that when they hear Jesus, all they think is angry, angry white Republicans who hate gay people. That's, thank you for that awkward laughter. I'm not awkward about it at all. That's, the rea- that's what people think. And you know what? You can be like, that's crazy, man. We love everybody. We don't care who you are, where you come from, what's been in your past. We love." yeah, but they don't know that we got to get out of these walls. We got to show them love. We got to go beyond just having church services to show them that love. And and I've I've said this many times during this series on the rapture and on the end times. What I don't want is to go to heaven. And as I'm floating up in in the air to look back and say, see, I told you so. That's not my goal. (laughs) It's not my goal to do that. My goal is to go find that person to bridge that gap and to show them that I love them. And it continues to amaze me why Christian people are surprised when lost people act like lost people. What did you expect lost people to think about you? What did you expect people who are gripped by sin to think about Christian people? I mean, have you forgotten, have we forgotten how far away from God we were? Maybe you never were. Maybe you weren't like me. Maybe you never sinned. I can actually look around the room and see your halos over your head right now. And they're held up by the horns that are holding them up, right? I mean, come on, we forget where we came from. And we, we judge people that we ought to be loving. Those are unchurched people. Then there's a group called de-churched people. What's a de person? Many of you are formerly de church people. You tried church, and you were like, if these are church people, never mind. These people that, that, that judge you and talk about you and lie and are hateful, you know what? And, and there are a lot of people who just said, I'll just do church, I'll do God by myself. But that's unbiblical and it doesn't work. You have to try again. I tell people who said, I'm, I'm, I'm out of church because of how that church acted. I say, you never went to a bad restaurant? You kept eating, didn't you? You just went to a different restaurant. And, and you know, we've got to reach those kind of people who are turned off. And so that's that's unchurched and dechurched. And then there's overchurched people. What is that? There are people who have this much church, this much religion, and this much Jesus. You know, they're just consumed with it. And they yet still don't know that that, that there's more than rules and there's more than customs and singing songs and quoting, you know, teachings and and, and even some Bible verses. There's a whole lot more to it than that. And Jesus actually said that half of those who think they're going to be ready to meet me are going to be left behind. You know, uh, the the reason we have to keep going after over church people is, is right on our staff. There's a guy named Chris Hopper who came to our church about. I think it was over 10 years ago, about 10 years ago. He comes in the building only because he's chasing a girl, all right? Chris Hopper came to Daystar chasing a girl, and he was high, and he was hungover, and he'd been in every jail in the North Alabama area, okay? He was an addict. He came through those doors. Now, I'd like to tell you that after that 10 years ago, he came here. He he is now, today, eight years clean. He is on his way to graduating from Daystar College and Lee University, And he's on staff at our church. He married a beautiful, sweet girl and they're gonna have a baby very soon. Give old Chris Hopper is gonna be pop hopper. We're proud of that. But when he came through our doors, hung over, he said he'd never come back because there was a cafe in the lobby. You go meet him and ask him if I'm not telling you the truth. There was nobody in the building who needed this church more than Chris Hopper did. And yet he had just enough religion to let him know, oh, you can't have cafes in churches. Jesus must not be in there because there's a cafe in there. I'm telling you, this community, our part of the state is up to here with religion. Our world is rejecting religion. We've got to be showing them Jesus, love, acceptance, care, and compassion. So there's a lot of people like that, and we've got to love them right where they are. Let me show you five times. i got five things uh, that show you you're a true believer. If you're unsure, like, am I ready to go or not? Number one, you've confessed that Jesus is Lord of your life, and you know he is the only way to God. That's the first place. Romans 10 and 9 says, if you openly declare, declare that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. That's, that's it. Jesus is the only way. Say that with me. Jesus is the only way. See, there's a, there's a growing movement, a heresy in our world called universalism. And it's, you don't hear that phrase a lot, but it's the idea that there are many ways to reach God. You just be true to yourself, speak your truth, be kindness, uh, show kindness to other people. And there are many paths to God, Jesus being one of those paths. The problem is Jesus said the opposite of that. In in, in Jesus' writing, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he goes on and he says, nobody comes to the Father except by me. So so he's not one of many ways. He says, I am the only way. And the fact of the matter is, if you believe that there are many paths to God, you're in danger of missing the one true path to God, which is Jesus Christ. He's the only way to God. Here's the second way. You know you're a follower of Jesus. If your life has been changed since accepting Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? Church? Church? new. There's some old that's gone in your life. There's some new that's come. My wife tells me the first time she uh, prayed the sinner's prayer or got saved, she was at a church where she was a little girl and everybody on her row stood up. Then everybody on her row walked around and they got prayed over and everybody on her row went back and sat down. And then her mama got a letter in the mail that said she'd been saved. Y'all, that's not how it happens. Okay, it's not like that. You know it when you got saved. Something changed in your life. There was a difference in who you were and to who you have become. She got saved since then. I want to clarify. She did really meet the real Jesus. Okay, that wasn't the end of it, right? But, but, you know, are you different? You know, you can't just say, well, I go to church. You know, I, I live like hell for six days and then I dress up real nice and clean up and give some money on Sunday. That's not how it works. Okay, that doesn't bring you into relationship with God. Number three, God speaks to you. And you sense his presence. In other words, can you tell God is in the room? Can you tell he's speaking to you? Is he guiding you in your journey? He said this in John 10 and 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Do you know his voice? I don't mean like, are you waking up in the morning? He's like, hey, Fred, get up. It's time for, I don't mean like that but are you are, are you being guided? can Can you sense that he's saying this is the way you ought to go? You, you know God has a will about everything in your life if you're a student he, he knows which classes you ought to take and, and he'll'll he'll, he'll, he'll guide you in that direction. He knows who you ought to be dating or who you shouldn 't be dating you know uh, if you're a girl, uh, your dad knows who you shouldn't be dating also um But but you know what? God knows what cars you ought to buy, what job opportunities you ought to take. I mean, he knows how you ought to respond to somebody on Facebook or just don't respond. He knows how you ought to respond to a a difficult situation in your life. But you have to listen to him. And and you might be saying, well, I've I've tried to listen. I I really want to hear, but I just don't know how to hear. First of all, when God speaks to you, he'll speak your language, man. You don't have to have some... TBN preacher version of God speaking. Those guys on TBN seem like God tells them, you know, whether or not to put butter on their bread or what. Like, I, 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 don't know. I'm just trying. You're, you're sitting a lot like me. You're just trying to be, you know, good and, and 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 hear from God. He'll talk your language. He'll give you direction on what's going on in your life. But, but, but here's what has to happen. You got to turn down the voices that are clouding him out. And you think about it, you, you go through life and there are, there's pop culture and there's social media and there's friends and there's work and there's pressure. There's so many things yelling in the background. You've got to get to a place where you turn that down and you turn up an environment where God can speak to you. Like right here. Here's what you did. Hopefully you came in here. You're not on social media right now. Okay. You're not like talking to people like you've turned that all down for an hour and a half. Good. And you know, you're not watching football or whatever you'd normally be watching on Sunday. You've turned all that down. You're not going to work. Hopefully, hopefully you're not thinking about work right now. You've turned all that down. That's an environment where you can hear from God. Praying in the morning before you get your day going. Great environment. Reading the Bible. Even if it's just a you know one chapter, a few verses. That's an environment. Everyday small groups. If you're saying to yourself, I really want to hear from God, but I can't. Turn the voices down that are competing with God, get in environments where you can hear what he has to say. Number four, you believe you're saved by grace, not by being a good person. There was a George Barna uh, survey done that revealed slightly over half of Christian respondents believe they can attain salvation by being good or doing good. But that's not it. You will never be good enough to go to heaven. You won't ever earn enough. I've heard people say, I just want to do more good things than I did bad things, so maybe I can go to heaven. That is not how it works. It never will. The Bible says it like this in Ephesians 2 and 8 by grace you've been saved, through faith. And it's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. See, you're either saved by grace or you're not saved. If you think the big check you wrote got you saved, you are not saved. If you think the family you grew up in got you saved, if you think your mama being so holy or your dad being so righteous got you saved, you're not saved. You are only saved by the grace of God. If you're comparing yourself to somebody else, well, that preacher that lives down the street from me, you know, I'm watching it, uh, you can't compare yourself to that. Well, you know, my uncle, he was a great guy, but he also messed up in this area, and at least I'm, you can't compare yourselves. The only comparison is between you and Jesus Christ, and when you do that, you're going to realize I am woefully inept to be righteous without him. And so I'm only saved by the grace of God. Number five, how to know you're uh, saved. You believe and respect God's word. That Barna survey said that 58% of Americans believe there's no absolute truth at all. 77% say right and wrong are determined by factors other than the Bible. That's our world today. 77%. This is not right and wrong, they say. And 59%, almost 60%, say the Bible is not God's authoritative word. But Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. How many of you agree with me? This is the authoritative truth of God. In fact, this is the only truth that there is. I mean, science is not truth. It's opinion. It's experimentation. Government is not truth. Your education is not truth. There are some true things about all those, but this is always truth all the time. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will stand the generation. This, this has been boycotted. It's been burned. It's been, it, it's been uh, scrutinized in every conceivable way, but it will always stand. In fact, this is why the word of God is so important. John 1 and 14 says, the word became flesh, like this, flesh, became a person and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came down from the father full of grace and truth. In other words, Jesus is the word of God with legs on, with skin on. And so here's the thing. If you don't have a relationship with God's word, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. He is the Word of God. It can't be, you know, a a good teaching with a collection of nice things, and then there are other good ways to God. It either is the truth or it's not the truth. Jesus says, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. A lot of people want to say that Jesus was a good teacher who never really claimed to be God, but if you read his words, he very clearly knew he was the Son of God. And it's like C.S. Lewis once said, you can't just say Jesus was a nice teacher and he was a nice man. There's only three possibilities for Jesus. Jesus could be a liar. He could be a lunatic or he has to be Lord. Because if he said he was the son of God and he really wasn't, then he's a liar. If he thought he was God, but he wasn't, then he's a lunatic. But if he's not a lunatic and he's not a liar, he must be Lord. Clap your hands today if you know he's the Lord of lords, the God of this word, and he can be trusted. Well, that's where we have to continue to stand. And so so that first story, that parable, tells us uh, the, the parable of, the, of the, the, the ten virgins tells us we need to know him. He said, I don't know you. Uh, he, he, we need to know him. Now, here's the second story. It begins in verse 14. This is the parable of the talents. This is my favorite story. I could do a whole series on this parable. I'm going to try to streamline it today. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another one two, and to another one one bag of gold each according to his ability, and then he went on his journey. This is Jesus talking about the end times. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once to put his money to work, and he gained five more. Verse 17, so also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought in the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I gained five more. And the man who had two bags of gold came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I gained two more. And his master replied, you've done well. Uh, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I'll put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came And master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, so I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. And see, here's the one bag that belongs to you. Listen to the reply. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Take that bag of gold away from him and give it to the one who has ten. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a really sweet Jesus who got real rough real quick. Can I hear an amen to that? Weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? This is what I learned from this second parable. Write this down, number two. I want to go to heaven, serve Jesus. This parable tells me he gave me something and I better do something with it for his kingdom. Now, that Barna survey also found that most people believe that the purpose of life is feeling good about yourself, but that's not your purpose. That's called hedonism, by the way. That's not a new idea. It's been around since the days of Jesus. My purpose in my life is not about me. It's about other people. It's the reality that I've been given and you've been given gifts and talents and opportunities and abilities and challenges and obstacles that you've overcome. And all of that is not so you can feel good about yourself. So you can have all the pleasures in the world and you can just have, you know, have good feelings. You know, that, that's not what God put you on this earth. For I told you last week that you're on this earth at the end of time for a reason. And I believe that reason is twofold, that you have something and that you know someone. You have something that God wants you to invest in other people's lives and you know someone who needs what you have. And so I, I look at this and I'm reminded that God gave me something and he expects something with me, so I need to serve him. We are the wealthiest people in the world and we have been strategically placed with what we have to invest in other people. Repeat after me. Say these words. Say, know Jesus, serve Jesus. Okay, here's the last one. It it comes in verse 31. I'm just going to sort of tell you this story. The Bible says Jesus brought together all the nations, and he separated the nations like sheep and goats. And on one side, it says that they're going to receive God's inheritance, and I want to be on that side. Because the other side says they're going to be cast into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, don't you want to know what is the line of demarcation between God's inheritance and eternal fire? Would you like to know? Write this down. Number three, here's the difference. Love people. Jesus said it like this. I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me in. I needed clothes. You didn't clothe me. I was sick in prison. You didn't look after me. And they answered, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? When did that happen? We don't remember. And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they'll go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go to eternal life. You know, before we were Daystar Church, This was was a church that was 60 years old called Glory Hill Church. Really small group of people. And a lot of people um, talk about the tremendous growth of our church and and its its reach, and it's a great story. But really, I learned this part of my sermon from the people at Glory Hill, that small group, how to really love people. Before I came, shortly before I came to Coleman, they started a ministry called the Master's Hands. We had t shirts printed up, had Matthew 25 on it, the hands of Jesus. Straight from this passage. And I remember one time we were doing food distribution. The Master's Hand still happens. We do it through the link now. And it was food distribution day, people had come. And I had an important speaking engagement that Sunday evening. I was in a hurry to get finished. And um, there was a guy that came in late. He drove the world's oldest car, should have been in the Smithsonian Institute. It was held together by dirt and duct tape. And he came out and out popped the dirtiest man I'd ever seen, smelly. You could smell him from a long way off. I literally, like, like you could rub dirt off of him. That's how dirty he was. And I'm thinking to myself, he's late. We've already closed up everything. We gotta drag everything back out. If you're gonna get free food, at least you could show up. Y'all looking at me so holy like you just always holy. I'm not, all right? I wasn't happy. I was needed to be somewhere. And so the wonderful people of that church just sprang into action. They started loading him up with boxes, talking to him about his life, what's going on, how can we pray for you. They filled up his car. The back seat was full from the ceiling to the floor, from window to window. They filled. He started talking about Neighbors and friends, they just shoved a bunch of groceries in his trunk so much that it couldn't be closed. And to hold the trunk down, they put three boxes on the trunk and wrapped them up with rope. This guy was a moving grocery store. And I'm like, okay, gosh, finally, he's loaded up. Let's get him out of here. But Roger Ham wants to pray for him. So we got to stop and pray. I'm like, okay, let's get the prayer done. And Roger grabs the man by the hand. I get over here and I take Roger by the hand and I hold Amy Spiegel's hand, who Uh, started Master's Hands actually when she was in college. She's now the vice principal at Good Hope High School. She's on this side and then she's got the other man by the hand and we go to pray and I'm ready to pray and move on and ride because I've already prayed for a hundred people. Y'all don't look at me in that tone of voice. I've already prayed for a hundred people. I'm ready to pray and move on and Roger, he's not in a hurry. He's prayed for everything under the sun. His generations past, generations to come. He's binding this. He's loosening that, blessings. And I mean, casting out devils. He's done everything you can pray. And I'm finally like, amen. And I let go. And what Roger did next changed my life. He didn't let go of that man's hand. That man took a step away and Roger pulled him in and just wrapped him up like this like it was his long lost brother. I'm standing back here and I can see the man's face over Roger's shoulder, his old dirty face. And as Roger told him, man, we love you. You matter to God and you matter to us. We're not going to forget you. We're going to keep praying for you. And God's got his hand on your life. That man's face, he started crying and it looked to me, it looked like a desert on his face and a river running through his desert. And these words came up to me. Jesus said, whatever you didn't do for the least, you didn't do for me. Whatever you did do for the least, you did do for me. And I remembered that's who he meant. Not the preaching appointment in the church I'm supposed to go to. That guy is the kingdom of God. It wasn't in a church. That guy, I don't think he ever came to our church, but that's the kingdom of God. It's not this. It's not this one hour event a week in your life. That That's a rallying point. It's a teaching moment. It's a, it's a supernatural moment to draw you in. But Jesus said the least That's him on the earth. And even this week, as I was thinking about this message and thinking about Matthew 25, I just cried out to God. I said, God, that's what I want to be doing. I don't want to be arguing politics and arguing end times theology and arguing about the color of walls in a church building. I want to be reaching that guy because let me tell you, heaven and earth will pass away. There will always be that guy who needs love. That's who you're called to. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is, maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe some of these messages went right past you. You're like, man, I couldn't even keep up, Pastor. I don't know who's coming and when they're coming and what. About, but let me tell you, you just read the part of your Bible that's written in red. You'll get to Jesus's words, and it's simple: love people, know Jesus, serve God, love people. You can make your decision today. That's how you're going to live right here, right now. You can make your decision today. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. There's not one place. I've read all through this text. There's nowhere in this place where Jesus goes back digging through the past of someone's life. He always says to them, hey, go your way and sin no more. He says that's in the past. Get up and go forward. God's telling somebody that same thing today. Forget that stuff. You don't have to go fix all that. You can't undo what has been done. You can't unring a bell. What you can do is get up and be who he's called you to be. You have what it takes to do that. You hear me? You have what it takes to be who God's called you to be.